When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! Podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, along with Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. Justin, how are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Pretty good. Did you get any clarity on any calls from the last guest we had, like in the, in the games leading up to that? Did you, did, is your mind been completely blown? Yeah, no, I have not. Uh, it has, nothing's really come up, you know, and, and there, I did have some weird situations last weekend with some strange calls. And I did think about texting Joe, but I thought I would just kind of let his uh, let, let his podcast kind of permeate the stratosphere before I started bothering him again with some. Right, just refer to the podcast as much as you can, as as your own learning guide, and then if you need more, you can follow up with him. Um, so let's start this week out with our team of the week, and that is the Reading Royals of the ECHL. So that's the affiliate of the Philadelphia Flyers. They're right now 25, 12, and 2, and second place in the North Division behind the Newfoundland Growlers, and they're ahead of Maine and, and uh, Worcester. Second in the ECHL, second ECHL in defense with 2.69 goals against per game, and the only team better is Idaho with 2.03 goals against. What do you like about reading it and the personnel they have? Uh, well, so, you know, Reading is an interesting team. You know, they, uh, one thing that you look at when you look through their roster is Reading has a lot of really good team defense. I mean, I'm not a big believer in the plus minus statistic, but I think it can tell you a little bit. And Reading is a, a pretty good example. You look at their roster, a lot of plus players up and down forwards, defensemen and whatnot. So I think that's the big thing that stands out to me is it's a very defensively responsible team. They've got good goaltending, of course, but the forwards, the defensemen, they do a really good job of protecting, coming back in transition, doing things like that. So, you know, that's one thing that that stands out for me. Uh, I think you mentioned it. The only team that's got a better goals against is the Idaho Steelheads um, at uh, 2.03. But, you know, Redding just does a good job in their own zone and coming back. And that's the main thing that right off the bat impresses me. Are there any, just off the top of my head, I was thinking about this. Are there any... Like how long have they been affiliates, Reading in Philadelphia? Boy, I don't know offhand, but I, I believe it's been a while. I'd have to look that one up to be honest with you. I didn't mean to stump you there, but I'm just curious because there's always been a strong affiliation between the NHL and AHL with Philly. I kind of wondered if there was like, you know, Wheeling has had that relationship with Wilkesbury for a while. I was wondering if there was maybe something there as well. I, I think so, but I, I'd be going off memory right now. I mean, obviously, geographically, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, and, and not a lot of teams at the ECHL necessarily have that. In fact, there's a lot of crazy geographical things going on. Like we talked about Savannah that one time right. being affiliated with Vegas. So that's obviously a cross-country trip. But I think you're on to something. We'd have to look it up. But I, I think there is a nice geographical and, and some history there. They've used six goalies this season, which I think on the surface sounds crazy, but it's more and more standard that you're using more than two or three guys in this league. The one that has the most is Nolan Meyer. So he's played with 19 games. What do you like about his game so far? Uh, just consistency. I mean, he's 11-5-2, and 2.64 goals against. Uh, I think you know this about me by now. Anytime I look at the save percentage, I want to see over 900. So he is over 900. He's an AHL contracted guy with Lehigh Valley. 
you mentioned the six goalies. I mean, there's a lot of quality goalies. A guy I know really well, Pat Nagel, is in that system. Goes up and down. He had Olympic uh, experience last year. So, you know, some of that is a product of the affiliation and having uh, a lot of prospects. But uh, Meyer, like you said, you know, it's just consistency. You know, just in the right position at the right time and comes up with the big saves when he needs to. It's interesting, too, because he came off of – so. You know, last season, he put a 9-10 up with the Blades uh, in the WHL. So he's 22 years old, a young guy, certainly someone that is, you know, he's just his first full season pro. There could be a lot of better years to come as well, and he's definitely on the upswing. Just for to that, so speaking of defensive and, and keeping the pucks out of the net, let's go to the forwards, which is highlighted by Jacob Gochi. 11 goals and 25 points and a plus 15 in 39 games. Anything about him that stick out to you? Well, he's exciting. That's that's the big thing. If you queue up some film of him, you're going to see some some cool things that he does. Now, he's only 21. He's got size, six foot four, 210 pounds. He's coming out of the the Quebec Major Junior League. Uh, his last season of juniors, 35 goals, 68 points in 66 games, which is obviously impressive. Um, so about, about that size, five. you know, he's. He's good as a power forward, okay? But he does some really nifty things that aren't just grinding away, that aren't just, um, you know, hunkering down in front of the net or beating people up in the corners. He's got a really nice shot, rocket of a shot. So I see him a lot taking these actual wrist shots. And people who know me know that I bemoan the death of the wrist shot pretty often. So I was actually looking at a lot of film of him the other day. I was like, oh my gosh, an actual prospect who's taking a legitimate wrist shot, not snapshot, not kind of a half slap shot, an actual wrist shot from 40 feet out and scoring. And not enough players are doing that these days because that's how you take advantage of traffic. That's how you catch the goalie off guard. And when you're taking a slap shot, yeah, you're, you're getting speed, but you're sometimes telegraphing it. So I like to see the younger players still sticking to that. And uh, Gauthier is one of those guys that's doing that. So just an exciting player to watch right now. It's definitely a testament to his ability that he can go from being an overager in junior having success and then to the ECHL and continuing that forward. Because we talk about this a lot. A lot of the guys that are rookies or, or newer guys in the ECHL are usually coming from college, right? And they've got a good four or five years over him. Is it a rarity that someone's success will correlate that quickly from major junior to the E? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, when... In the ECHL, like you like to like like you're saying, you like to get college players or you like to get those major junior players. Where right. I see some of those struggles are maybe the guys coming out of a little bit smaller junior league, but it depends. You know, everybody has a different philosophy. So in Fort Wayne, where I am, their philosophy is 100%. Let's get college guys. Let's get those guys who are 25. You know, that are veterans in at the collegiate level are experienced, you know, maybe they've been captains, but then you look at some other teams and they're like, no, 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 we want upside. So if that's a 21 year old coming out of juniors, fine, we'll take it. And there can be some growing pain. So I know I'm not directly answering your question, but it bounces all over the place. But for me, if I see a guy is coming out of the queue is coming out of the WHL, uh, he's an older guy. I feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to make, the adjustment, it's just going to be getting on the right page when it comes to really preparation, taking care of your body, nutrition, all those boring things. But those are the important things in getting in making ascending to the pro level and being able to play a 72 game season and make it all the way through. So when you talk about a guy like Goche, 
you know, that's the big thing. Is he going to be okay for the long haul? But so far, I, you know, he looks great. Speaking of the inverse of a player coming out of Mir Jr. and someone that's well-seasoned from college, Max Newton, their leading goal scorer, 20 goals, 22 assists, and 42 points in 37 games. He, this is his first. So is he technically a rookie? Because last year he played a bit. How does that work for the EC? Yeah, they still denote him as a rookie. I, I forget the, the games played offhand, but he still counts. Sometimes you get guys who have been in the league up to three years. You know, sometimes, I think I've seen a guy at four years still qualify as a rookie as long as he's got those games played down. And another, another weird thing to kind of keep in mind is some of these guys come from Europe and not all of the leagues count. So if you're playing at a lower level in Europe, and maybe you've played there for one or two years, you could come over to the ECHL, be 27, and still count as a rookie. So that's not what's going on with Newton, but you're right. He's played some seasons, but still qualifies as a rookie. Well, what's interesting about him, too, is he transferred from Alaska to Merrimack College during college hockey, and he's been scoring decent numbers since his junior season. Coming to the pro game has been seamless for him. Is he, would you say he's their best player, or is that maybe an unfair characteristic? You know, I don't know. I, I don't know that I would say it like that. You know, he leads them in scoring, but he's on an ECHL deal. Um, right. You know, when you're on a team with a bunch of AHL, NHL contracts, you know, it's, it can be tough to say he's the best guy. But he is one of those guys that you're like, okay, he's got to be playing himself into a contract for this season or next season. So, you know, they're they're pretty stacked. I mean, he was their all-star representative. Um, you know, he did some things with Worcester. Uh, I believe he had three goals and eight points with Worcester last year, but he's really taken off this year. I mean, he's got a very quick shot, not a big guy, you know, five foot 10, but very shifty. You know, he moves through traffic really well and, and just uh, really good on special teams as well. Uh, a couple shorthanded goals. So not just power plays, like he's doing it at both ends. So, you know, this is a, a pretty deep Reading team and, you know, I don't know who the best player is. I just know they got a lot of really good players. Charlie Girard is red hot recently. Yes. Uh, and he's a player that I, I really have liked for a lot of years. Um, a couple years ago, he was with the Utah Grizzlies and uh, just a very opportunistic forward. Uh, he's on AHL deal with Lehigh Valley. He's over a point per game player. Uh, again, he's kind of small at uh, five foot ten, and he's a little bit older at twenty seven. But he shoots the puck a ton. Uh, five shots on goal per game, over five shots on goal per game, and uh, just a rocket of a shot. So you have to watch him. And you know, one thing is, you know, I do think you have to mention the coach James Henry and all this. Um, you know, it's his first season as a head coach. Only spent one season as an assistant. Uh, this is a, a really familiar player for ECHL fans. Uh, he was a longtime player with Stockton and then Adirondack from 2013 to 2020. Um, Henry was a left wing. He had some talent, scored 69 points one year. He's the Adirondack franchise's all-time leading scorer. He's in Adirondack's Hall of Fame, all those things. But here's the thing. James Henry's only 31, okay? Be a head coach. At the professional level, I don't care what level it is. At 31, that can be challenging, you know. And for him to have this team doing as well as it is, replacing a really well-respected coach in Kirk McDonald, I think speaks volumes about what's going on in Reading. Because you know, 31, you got to deal with all these call-ups, guys going back and forth. Um, there's just a lot of things to deal with, especially in a place like Reading. And he's just doing a really good job so far. We'd be remiss not to talk about the two NHL contracted players on our team of the week. 
the Reading Royals, Mason Millman and Evan Barrett. So I want to start with, with Millman. Why is he in the ECHL? I'm a little confused about that. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a great answer for you other than depth. You know, he's uh, he was a fourth round pick of the Flyers in 2019. Uh, he's showing really good things at both ends of the ice. Uh, he's played 35 games. So he's got six goals, 22 points, and a plus nine rating. Remember, we said all these rating guys tend to be really good on, on the plus. So, you know, my interpretation of what's going on here is he's still shoring up the defense. He is a very aggressive offensive defenseman. Uh, there was a play this season where he scored seven seconds into overtime. So that kind of speaks to what he could do. They win the drawback. He gets the puck, speeds up the left boards, circumvents the defense, scores. They win the goal or win the game, excuse me. Um, he's not their leading scoring defenseman because they have Garrett McFadden as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, you ask a great question. You know, what's he doing down here? I think he's just got to hone his game. There's a lot of players at Lehigh Valley that he's got to overcome. But, you know, I see him being able to do it. I mean, right now he's just one of those prototypical two-way guys at this level. Evan Barrett, um, what, what's your thoughts on, on his game? Well, I mean, the the thing that I um, really like about Barrett is he's got this ridiculous goal from college. <laughs> if you were to Google his name, uh, have, I don't know if you've seen it, but he scoops it up, flicks it, the puck into the air, and then whacks it in. But the thing is, his back is to the net, and he hits it with the backhand. So I can't say that I had seen that before or since. So he's a guy with, you know, just great upside um, he's actually joined the Flyers, which is his hometown team. He's from Pennsylvania. Um, why is he in the ECHL is almost a better question to be than the other guy, you know, because he came in a trade for Cooper Zek. Um, you know, I think that they want to see him get familiar with his surroundings, establish himself at this level, and then let's see if we can move him back up because he's got a lot of upside. I mean, he was a third-round pick. So he's got three goals, 10 points in just 14 games since coming in that trade. And I think they want him to really get his feet wet, understand where he's going. And then I would expect they'll take a look at him at the AHL level. Before we transition, I'm just curious. We mentioned how, you know, Max Newton would be their leading goal scorer. We also mentioned how there's guys like, you know, Mason Milliman, Evan Barrett. These are different position players. But my point being is, is there ever like a hierarchy where there's an ECHL player that's better and even a, not just a veteran, but like a younger guy coming out of college is better, but, and this happens in the AHL a lot because the guys that are on AHL or NHL deals, they're getting more opportunity. Does that happen often? A hundred percent. Because when you're at this level, something that you need to keep in mind, and I think a lot of fans forget this, is that part of an affiliation is the NHL and the AHL team is entitled to give you some direction. Okay. Absolutely. Goaltending is probably the, the place where I see it the most. And I have seen controversies galore where it's like, why are they starting this guy tonight? And you just know it's because the AHL team or the NHL team is thinking, well, we sent him to Reading for a reason, and that's for him to get playing time. Okay. And so that happens not just with goalies, you know, think about power play, Th think about things like that, you know, and um, it can get dicey though. You know, there was a year in Fort Wayne, I'll be honest, it probably scuttled an entire affiliation. And um, trying to remember the player, it was Spencer Martin. 
It was Spencer Martin who became an NHL player. At the time in Fort Wayne, he was not their best goaltender. But the edict came down, (laughs) play this guy. And, you know, that ended up scuttling the whole thing. I I could be mixing up some of my facts, so maybe I should have said his name. But but you understand the point, which is locally, you may be wanting to play the hot hand or the guy that you signed for just this situation. But the NHL team comes in and says, well, we want you playing the other guy. And they don't necessarily care as much whether you win that game. No. They just want that guy to get the experience. Now, of course, they hope that he wins the game. So it's a great question. It's a great point. We could do a whole episode about that. But yeah, there are a lot of different cooks in the kitchen. And when it works, it's great. But sometimes it can leave you scratching your head as to why some lineup decisions are made. And sometimes as the ECHL coach, you got to make a decision like, okay, do I want to win this game and possibly imperil the entire affiliation or do I want to play nice? And sometimes you see them kind of making these machinations about, well, you know, tonight I'm going to risk risk getting the AHL affiliate mad. I'm going to play this guy because I'm losing the locker room and I got to get everybody on the same page. Stuff like that happens all the time. Absolutely. And I'm sure when guys are coming out of college or junior, they're picking their options. I'm sure they're looking at the depth chart as to how many people are going to be there and if they'll have a fair shot, right? Because if you're not on an NHL deal or AHL deal, you have to find the best opportunities. All right, let's move over to our prospect of the week. And that is another goaltender, Hunter Jones of the Iowa Heartlanders. Second round pick in 2019 out of the OHL. He was 31, 14, and 3 with a 2.75 goals against average and a 913 save percentage and four shutouts in his final year of junior. He's played some games in the AHL as well, but he's in E right now and he's thriving. What do you like about his game? Well, Thriving is an interesting way to put it. So you need some context here. He plays for the Iowa Heartlanders. This is a second-year team. Excuse me. And it is maybe the worst team in the league, at least if you're judging by the records. It is the worst team in the Western Conference, at least. So as a goaltender, you know, what do you make of a guy like that? So his record is 1-10-7. and One win, 10 losses, seven shootout overtime losses. So... You look at that and you're probably thinking, well, this guy isn't any good. I watched him play three straight games within 70 hours last weekend. I assure you, he's good. So his save percentage is 895. I think that is deceiving, despite what I said earlier in this about 900. I think it's deceiving when it comes to him because he's on a poor team that has had a ton of roster shakeups, has a lukewarm defense, um, and is just light on talent overall. So that can be a dicey situation when you're evaluating talent. And uh, the Heartlanders have had a few guys come in from uh, from the Iowa Wild, from the Minnesota Wild, and that can make it a little bit difficult to, to um, you know, determine their upside. But when I look at Hunter Jones, he makes a lot of great acrobatic saves. Uh, he tends to be very well positioned. He'll face a lot of shots. He's willing to obviously be a workhorse because we just saw that last weekend. It's not like they didn't have other guys. Um, but I, I just look at the wild depth chart and, you know, it, it's actually a little bit deeper than I think people probably realize, you know, if, if Hunter Jones is having trouble, uh, sending to the AHL, that says to me, you know, they have a little bit of depth. So he's behind Jesper Wallstedt, Zane McIntyre. These are good players. So I understand why he's at this level, but it's such an interesting conversation to me about him because you also have to wonder about confidence, you know? One ten and seven, does that mess with a guy's confidence? You know, goalies, 
you never know, right? So is uh, there ever a deal to be had where it's like, okay, we have a prospect that is in the gutter there. Maybe another team that's doing better needs a goalie. Let's make a swap there and do a loan out. Or is that not as because you know I was closer to the HL team? Like, does that sort of thing ever come into play? I've never seen it that I can really? think of. Not not for that reason. I mean, I've seen goalies be moved to other ECHL teams because we got too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Right. We got we got we got two guys. You've only got spots for one or two. We understand he, one of these guys is going to play, so we're going to find another spot. But I, if I'm understanding what you're asking is just to get him into a situation where he can win more, maybe we shift him to another ECHL team. I've never seen that. That would be really interesting. And I would think that would, again, maybe imperil some of your relationship with your affiliate, depending right. on the situation and who owns the team and whatnot. Um, I'll have to snoop around. That's a great question. Like I, I've definitely seen skaters you know, moved for whatever reason, maybe they're, you know, just not getting along with the team or the coach doesn't like him, says, get this guy out of here. I have seen that. But in terms of a goalie, just to get him in a situation where maybe he wins a little bit more and boosts his confidence, I don't know that I've seen it, but that's a great question. Well, the point is, is because from the Wilds' perspective, Hunter Jones is a pitch hitter, pinch hitter, comes in for them this year, the Iowa team. Puts a 929 save percentage up, and he faced 28 shots. Pretty good, right? I think for for your ability to be able to do that, you've got to have some sort of talent. Then to go down to the E and you're getting absolutely nuked and you've got no support. How, how are you winning there? So that's kind of what I was was thinking from that angle. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And and you know, I I I was a little probably overly hard on the Heartlanders because I actually think they're better than their record is. They they hustle hard. You know, I think I think part of the problem is they have some guys who on most other teams would probably be a, a third line guy. Like Tyler Bush is a guy there. I really like Tyler Bush. He's a former Arizona State player. He's become an alternate captain in Iowa. But so he went from Fort Wayne, acquired just for future considerations, by the way. Um, you know, and he was a spare guy, basically, and sometimes a third forward. He goes and now he's a top two, you know, top two line guy. He's playing power play. He's playing penalty kill. He's their best face-off guy, you know? So that speaks to me like, Hey, it's great for him and he's doing really well, but also like, how did you get into this position with limited talent? And that's what they need to figure out. And, and then the same thing's going on with the Norfolk Admirals, which is the other team, the Eastern Conference's worst team. Now they've been trading a lot and mixing and matching and trying to find guys, but they signed yeah. Ian White. The guy should be in a, in a old folks home. Yes, I, exactly. They got Ian White. They've got all kinds of guys that have, have moved in there. DJ King's another guy. Um, but uh, you know the Heartlanders do work hard. They give you a lot to handle. Uh, I think they're better than their record indicates. But Hunter Jones is also a big part of that. The other day he stopped. I believe it was forty-eight shots. Uh, ended up losing in overtime. Uh, but, you know, he's doing good things. And, you know, just a, a great lesson on you can't always trust the stats on the paper. Sometimes you do have to actually go watch the guy play. And that's what I see from him, which is good goaltending. Before we get to Coast to Coast, Justin Cohn's news and notes, I have to say, you mentioned future considerations. Now, I'm talking out loud here, but we've got to get someone on here, GM or league exec, that could give us some of the best future consideration assets per se that were traded. Like, I, I wonder what future considerations would be in the ECHL. Like, like uh, 
free hotel. Like I'm, I'm, I can't even think what it would scale out to be. Pizza for the bus ride home. Well, I mean, future considerations typically means a player. Okay, like you, you obviously walk a lot in the NHL, AHL world. How much? I'm just curious. How much do you have to deal with future considerations at that level? AHL, it's more prevalent than the NHL. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think, like, I remember hearing from someone in the AHL a lot of the, like, there's that old story from years ago of the NHL, future considerations, like Chris Draper was traded for, like, a bus or something. Something <laughs> like something like that. But I think that in the AHL, a lot of the time, it's, there's either money involved or some sort of tangible thing going the other way, like some sort of help or some agreement written that, say the next time they play like something to do with that logistically but i guess you're saying the echl is more actual future right asset. so what i mean can i tell you some stories like when i first started 24 years ago were there those things where a guy was getting traded for a washing machine and stuff like that 100 percent it happened right. have i heard anything like that recently no but i'm glad you brought this up because i get a lot of questions about future considerations how does it work and you're right. We should have somebody with some great stories on. But, but let's talk about it for a minute. So, yeah. um, you know, how, what is future considerations? First of all, you are trading somebody and you're going to get a return on that investment later. OK, at this level, that has to be completed by a certain date. Uh, I believe it's in June. OK, so you can't have future considerations that is owned for years. Right. If, if I trade Jacob Stoller today to the Worcester Railers, okay, for future considerations, Worcester has to repay me by whatever that date is. I believe, it's, I believe it's June, okay? So usually it ends up being a player. If it's going to be cash, they'll do that at the time. They'll say, okay, I'm, I'm trading Jacob Stoller for cash, okay? Now that's an even better question, how much cash? Right. It's not very much, okay? Like when, what, $1,000, 500 if, if that, okay? okay. 500 probably closer to the mark. But it depends on the player, you know? I mean, if I'm trading, you know, a top-line veteran player who's been in the league forever, right. I'm probably going to ask for more. But usually the philosophy with cash is we just want to get something, you know? Yeah. Anything. Well, 500 would be the weekly league minimum, right? That's what it would equate to, roughly. Yeah, that's about right. Because league league minimum, I think, is twelve k or ten k. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. I'm gonna look that up for next episode too, because yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. It's, so interesting, couple hundred bucks. That but but most fans, in my experience, figure when they see cash, they're thinking thousands, thousands of dollars, ten thousand dollars. Right? No, yeah. no, 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 no. It's it's and sometimes it's it's really nothing. Okay, but let's say you're trading. Jacob Stoller for a player, okay? A lot of times, the teams will already have an idea of who that's going to be. So in other words, if I'm trading you to, let's just say Worcester again, sure. I'm, I may have some verbiage in there, okay? You have to repay this by March 1st. Right. And it has to be a defenseman. Not only a defenseman, it has to be a left-handed defenseman. Okay. Sometimes that is all written in. Okay. Sometimes it's even more specific, which is you tell the team, we, it has to be one of these five players. Okay. So, as an example, I happen to know that, or well, I, I'm suspecting this is what happened. Let's put it pretty sure this is what happened. Fort Wayne 
before the season started, traded a guy by the name of Cade Oliver to Atlanta. Okay. Now I had heard as way back in October, the name of the player they were probably going to get, which was Jacob Graves. So what that says to me is Fort Wayne had worked it out at the time. We are going to choose from one of the following five players when that is due, which happened to be in December. Okay. So a lot. Now I do know there is something that you can't actually write down the name of the player in the contract that you turn into the league, but you can be pretty specific. You can say, well, we have to receive a left-handed shooting defenseman between the ages of 25 and 27 and therefore narrow it down. There's some legalese that prevents that. But the interesting thing here, I think, is that when teams trade a guy for future considerations, they often know who they're going to get back, even though it may not happen for months. Okay. So it's like, it's like the teams have sort of worked it out behind closed doors. You're getting Jacob Stoller for the next four months. And after those four months, you're going to give us, you know, whoever. So I find that interesting. It's not like just some, okay, we're going to figure out what we get later. A lot of times the teams already knew, know when they make the trade. So does that make sense? Uh, that clears everything up that I was wondering. Yeah, I mean, this this happens a lot. I mean, every week. Now, the, the, the thing that the ECHL sometimes struggles with is letting fans know exactly what is going on. If you yeah, look right at the so. if you I mean, look I at the transaction it. report, you'll see Justin Cohn was traded to Savannah, and you don't really know what the return was. Was it cash? Was it future considerations? Yeah. Was it a player? Because sometimes you're beholden to when the teams want to announce it, and I really think they need to kind of clean that up just for clarity. There's no reason if it's on the transaction report you can't say he was traded from A to B for right. an undisclosed amount of cash. But that is speaks to more of a communications. Um, issue with the league, I think. Let's go to my favorite segment, Justin Cohn's news notes, quotes, and everything else there. So we we actually we touched on future considerations. Sorry that I jumped the ball there. You're fine. Yeah. But what's the best division in the league right now? Well, <laughs> it's funny. I put a poll on my Twitter account last week, and a lot of people were arguing about it. Um, you know, historically the central division is the toughest, you know, and the central has a lot of flagship franchises. You've got Toledo, you've got Fort Wayne, you've got Cincinnati. And this year it's become, as we've talked about a different division because Indianapolis has ascended to the top of the division. Cincinnati has been better than expected. So I still put my money on that being the most difficult division because top to bottom, it has the most quality teams. When you look at Fort Wayne, and in Wheeling are tied for fourth place. I mean, Fort Wayne in most other divisions might be the first or second place team. So that says a lot to me there. Iowa's the worst team in the division, but as we just talked about, they're very good. But for me, a, a very, very close second, and maybe it's number one, is the South Division. You got the Florida Everblades, the South Carolina Stingrays, the Jacksonville Icemen, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits, and the Atlanta Gladiators, those are the top five teams. They're separated by only seven points, and they all have winning percentages over 600. Then you can throw in the Orlando Solar Bears, uh, a 500 team, and the Savannah Ghost Pirates, an expansion team that's actually pretty good at 12, 22, and 7. So the thing about the South Division is, in addition to being very talented and playing a tough 
brand of hockey, they tend to be pretty physical down there, is when they have faced teams in other divisions, including the Central, they have fared very well. But the, to me, there is not the body of data. You know, Fort Wayne has played Savannah. Uh, that might be it. You know, Toledo. There hasn't been a lot of uh, cross-divisional games yet. So for me, the South and the Central are really close. The North, um, very top-heavy. Newfoundland, Reading, Maine, and Worcester, very good. Adirondack, Trois-Rivières, Norfolk, not so much. Same holds true for the Mountain Division. Idaho is exceptionally good, probably the best team in the league this year, 32-7-1. But don't sleep on Wichita. Don't sleep on Rapid City. Utah, Kansas City, not that bad. I mean, Tulsa brings up the rear with Allen. Those are pretty good teams, almost 500 teams. So um, that's an interesting division as well. So long-winded answer, but I rank them central, very closely followed by south, then north, then mountain. But the mountain is very top-heavy, and they might have the best teams there. Let's get to the hockeys for everyone happening in ECHL. I think that's important to touch on. Yeah, you know, I wanted to bring this up because obviously it's been in the news lately. You know, what we've seen going on at the NHL level with Ivan Provolov and also with the Rangers. But what I wanted to mention is, you know, at the ECHL level, they actually have probably been more progressive than other leagues. Okay, and uh, two examples I'll give you. So Fort Wayne, for instance, last year, had a Martin Luther King Jr. night. Believed to be the first team in hockey to ever wear MLK jerseys, which they auctioned off for charity, uh, did a lot of good things, and then they had it again this year. The Kalamazoo Wings have been very involved in the hockey is for everyone. Now, Kalamazoo played on rainbow ice the last couple of years. Now, if you've never seen it, it's wild. Now, the Kalamazoo Wings have a long history of coloring their ice. Um, they did green on St. Patrick's Day for decades. Okay, I, I've covered that game. Oh, there's lots of stories there. Uh, other teams tried to replicate it. Nobody really has the formula for coloring their ice, at least in the minor leagues, as well as Kalamazoo. So St. Patrick's Day was such a big thing for so many years, then they started doing uh, orange ice on Halloween and pink ice on Valentine's Day. And I know you'll like that because the face-off dots are little hearts on Valentine's Day. Cool. Um, so, so last year, when they really decided to get involved in Hockey is for Everyone, they did a rainbow ice game. And you know, from a watching just purely hockey perspective, it can be a little odd. Okay, it's like blue line to blue line. Rainbow Ice. But what happened is there's a player named Louis Rowe who just eviscerated this on social media and had some really uh, uh, offensive tweets. And Louis Rowe played in the ECHL this year for Fort Wayne. He, he had been in the SPHL. So when it was found out that he had made these tweets, um, the SPHL team immediately cut him. So he is, to my knowledge, without a job right now. But I think it's important to bring it up because this is before these things happen at the NHL level. I personally find them distasteful. I don't understand. I mean, the people arguing about it. I don't understand what the big deal is personally. But I like that at this level, they are trying to be progressive, wade into some of these issues. But, you know, the responses you get as a reporter 
Um, you know, when the Comets did MLK night last year, I was shocked at some of the emails and messages I was getting. Can't we just leave politics out of hockey? I don't see how that's politics. I don't see how that's anything. And keeping in mind, last year, Fort Wayne had three, I believe it was three black players on the team. How is Martin Luther King politics? I don't, I don't understand how. <laughs> it makes no sense. I don't understand how hockey is for everyone is politics, but that is the single line that I get all the time. But again, when it comes to Martin Luther King, Fort Wayne has black players on the team. Like what is so bad about celebrating that for one night? Um, so I encourage these teams, don't be dissuaded by these people. Just keep doing what you're doing. We need to get hockey to be more inclusive to I everybody. Agree. We need to support players. I mean, there was a situation this year. I wasn't able to find out much, but uh, 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 the team I cover, a player on another team used uh, a slur, a homophobic slur toward him, okay, on the ice. Nothing happened, okay? I reported it. I know the league reported it. Uh, I, sorry, the Comets reported it. There was no punishment for this. I was told, well, we couldn't prove it. Um, I hope that's true, but I have to sit here and wonder mm -hmm. if it was a different slur, would more have happened? And, and that's, that's a really good point, Justin, because, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I think that's really important to note that type of thing. It's incidents like that that go unreported that upset, not take with the players, but for even these hockey teams to exist, you need fans. You fans buy tickets. You fans to potential interest. The idea that you would just like make a whole sector of your fan base feel not included, uncomfortable, not celebrated. It's one part of it. But, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I can't even, it's hard for me to understand, you know, it's great what you're saying the ECHL is doing because for me, hearing the Rangers not wearing it for, unclear reasons i'm sure there's a couple of people that really want to wear it whatever what that says to every all these hockey fans is such a problem because what it really is doing is it's these people a taking their selfish beliefs in front of everyone and b i think there's a bit of naiveness in that and them thinking oh well it's whatever like and, and that's just so silly and stupid and i think that is great what the echl is doing i mean when you bring up the range all i think is we're talking about warm-ups like I know it's warm-ups. It, it, just wear the jersey. Like no one's asking you. Like, and that's just the thing too. Because what you're doing is you're showing everyone else a huge symbol, and like that stuff matters. And I, mean, I, I think it's just so silly. I mean, I, I don't mean to make light in any way, but I think some of these players forget. Like at the minor leagues, do you realize what jerseys and things that they make players wear? Every right. Day. Every Marvel, DC, yeah. Nickelodeon. I mean, Google the SpongeBob jerseys that ECHL teams have had to wear. Is that somehow like that? That seems much more egregious than having to wear something during warmups for ten minutes, right? Yeah. But that's that's just me. And again, I don't mean to make light, but sometimes I, I'm sorry. You have to be told the right things to do. We see it in the NFL right now. The Rooney Rule and the changes to that. That's you're because right. your own league can't get out of its own way and grow the game. So sometimes people need to step in. And even, of course, in the NFL, it hasn't worked. But it doesn't mean you don't try. And so that's how I look at it. But the whole concept, and I, kudos to the Kalamazoo Wings, because when Louis Rose started coming out 
at, at coming after them on social media, they kind of went right back at them. Like, we're just going to keep embracing everybody. And I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but good. That's what you should be doing. It's called hockey is for everyone. I don't see what the big deal. If you're arguing against it, you're saying hockey isn't for everyone. It's just for people you like. That seems to be the message. I don't like that one. And I agree with you on that. It's a good place for us to end it for this week. Really agree with you on all those fronts. And truly hockey is for everyone. And that's what the hosts of the show believe and everyone at our company as well. Thank you everyone for listening and we'll be sure to catch you next week.